He's Christian. He's Jimmer. This is two PTs and a bag of chips. Well, a bag of peanut snacks. Yeah, this is peanut snacks today. We're going to be reviewing the Osembamba peanut snack. Compliments of Joan Solomon. Thank you very much, Joan. They look delicious. Even really, though they don't they don't really match the whole chip thing, but we've gotten past that, right? Well, we, we, it's in a bag. It's a chip bag. It's in the chip aisle. Is that a chip bag? Yeah, that's a classic chip bag. It's a peanut snack bag. I mean, I think anything that contains multiple loose items counts as a chip for us. <laughs> loose items? Yeah. Like if you have change in your pocket? Ideally edible would be would be preferred. <laughs> All right. Yep. Meniscus cysts. Yeah, meniscus injury is our topic this week. Meniscus. Menisci. What does the meniscus do? One of the best explanations I ever heard was from uh, my good friend, Dr. Parker. He says the meniscus functions as a gasket. Kind yeah, of that cleans things up. Kind of guides movement and provides stability. Probably mm. not as much shock absorption as we think it might do. No, but it, I mean, it really helps protect the cartilage is kind of the the big thing we tend not to talk about. We talk about cushioning a lot and, I mean, increased joint congruency, which is what a gasket's going to do. Yeah. yeah. Those are the big things. But cushioning is, yeah. Not, yeah. I don't think it's its main function, right? I think no. its main function is much more kinematically and yeah. providing guidance to how the knee moves, which is quite a bit more complicated than just your average hinge. I think we're starting to find that out too with yeah there's a lot of arthrokinematics which we're definitely not going to talk about because that requires some visualization so that there's and, roll and, and glide and, and such and, and it would require me to also be able to say arthrokinematics you nailed it you got it wow uh there's a medial uh, meniscus and a lateral meniscus so there's two pairs in each knee supposedly i mean that's what you see when you when you do a, a pro section Big words. Ooh, I like that one. We're into big words today. That big wording. Good. Starting the day off right. And then uh, they talk about a blood zone area with it, which is also kind of fun. So you have the outermost portion, which is red, red, red meaning blood. Then you have the kind of middle third, which is called red, white. And then the inner third, which is the white, white. White, white has very minimal, if any, blood flow at all. And this comes into play when you start talking about surgery and healing potential and all the other kind of stuff. We may talk about that a little more, but... Sounds good. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Nah, I don't know. Nah. But meniscus injury, the biggest signs with meniscus injury are typically pain, swelling. Uh, some people experience locking or catching, depending on the type of tear that they're dealing with. Generally, range of motion loss is, is a huge one because it's either really full with fluid or because something is now stopping that range from bending all the way or straightening all the way or both. Yes, quite painful, mm -hmm. not fun. Although it can be painful and then it can go away for a little bit, you know, yep. depending on the size of the tear, the location of the tear, your mm -hmm. activity level. But it, yeah, it's, it's, a, um, it's a very, very common injury. Yeah, and you don't have to tear it necessarily for it to not feel particularly good. Correct. You can definitely do a lot of uh, compression on it and, and bruise your knee and, you know, bruise your meniscus, so to speak, and that will be quite uncomfortable. And you go and do an MRI and everything looks pretty good. Pretty healthy. The other thing with the MRI is sometimes the, the tear is not in a direction that you can see it very well. Or when you're not weight-bearing, the tear isn't visible, 
and so you may not see it on MRI. So this is another one where, you know, physical examination will tell you a lot, and MRI will, will help, but they need to be comparable, and they need to make sense together. And if they don't, then you start to think maybe, hey, it's not torn, or maybe it is torn. Yeah, there's some there's a, a slew of tests that is that are pretty typical. You get the Apleys, you get the McMurrays. There, there's different tests that you can do to see whether or not you're dealing with the meniscus tear. The problem is if you have an acute meniscus tear and you get someone in the clinic, there's a lot of swelling, a lot of pain, a lot of guarding. So the the, the test, although on paper might be foolproof, when you when applied, it may not necessarily give us the answers we're looking for. Yeah, you'll definitely get a lot of you know, false positives or false negatives, but mostly false positives. If your knee hurts and you torque on it, that's probably not going to feel good. No. And so that helps us, you know, it depends. Rule in some stuff, rule out some stuff. It, it, it always has that sort of continuum nature to it where as you get more experience with your diagnosing, you can start to be like, this looks more like it, this looks less like it. This is definitely something we should you know, get an MRI of or, or send you out to the to the ortho to get an additional assessment kind of that direction. I think mechanism of injury is also very beneficial. That's a, that's anytime you have any kind of compression and torque, compression rotation, um, that that's kind of the thing that pops in your mind is meniscus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to tears, I mean, there's a number of different kinds that we see. Uh, again, not all are surgical in nature. Many times surgery doesn't help with pain. I mean, we see later, you know, older age tends to see a lot of meniscus injuries that are more related to wear and tear that don't have a mechanism necessarily, and those tend to do really quite poorly following surgery. It's an, that's an interesting topic that, that is gaining a little bit more popularity. Should we do a meniscectomy in someone over 45, 50, 55, if there is also a history or evidence of arthritis? Uh, and there seems to be some 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 thought that doing the meniscectomy may actually trigger the arthritis. And there are several studies out there that will show that a lot of those patients will end up with a total knee or a partial knee replacement uh, within two to five years. Typically sooner than they would otherwise. And so if your knee is catching and locking and it's non-functional, that's a something you would do then to, to alleviate that issue. If it's just a little swollen and just a little uncomfortable after you do high-level activities, maybe it's something you choose to to, to tolerate for, for a little while longer because you may have a less likelihood for a total joint at that point then. So that's always interesting. The other tears that we see, and naming them for us isn't super important, but they, they come in a, a radial tear, which is the most common, which is when there's a little bit usually of the white-white, sometimes into that white-red zone. Torn, you have a horizontal tear, which is the precursor to a bucket handle tear. Bucket handle tears are, are quite bad. Uh, those will cause locking or, or catching, or the, the knee will just sort of get stuck from time to time with those. Uh, you have a flap tear, which is where a little chunk of it kind of flops over back and forth. That can also cause catching. It can also be really sharp and painful and then have no symptoms and then be really sharp and painful. You see a lot of complex tears, which are going to be radial and horizontal combined or, or a bucket handle that sort of come loose. Or you can also get a loose body where a chunk of that is now floating around, and so that can be quite bothersome by itself. Yeah, the problem with some of those is that 
you know, they can get caught. If the piece gets caught in the joint itself, your joint will literally lock up, and then you wiggle it around, and the piece frees itself, and you know you're relatively symptom-free. This can happen, you know, only once or twice, and it might not happen for a long time, or it can happen consistently. In the latter time, you you want you want to have that addressed. I mean, if there's a loose body floating around, or you have a large flap tear, that needs to be removed, um, so that you get back to normal activity. Yeah, meniscectomy is is what you call when a you've part of your meniscus removed. Uh, that's more common with large tears or when you're not if you, if it's too hard to repair it. And repairs really tend to only work when you're younger and when the tearing is more in that red red zone, so more in the outer portion. There's just better blood flow. There's more potential. Uh, they can try it historically hasn't been super successful. The other time you will see a, a, an attempt to repair is if you have a bucket handle tear. So if you have a meniscus that splits, like uh, Christian said, the, kind of that horizontal tear, and then you'll be non-weight bearing for, for six, eight weeks. And that, there's a, a significant success rate with those as well. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing you'll see, I mean, some meniscus replacements or reconstructions, those are are quite rare haven't been super successful too much, too often. I've, I've treated about four or five of those over the last 20 years. A few that did well, a few that didn't. A lot of it depends on your activity level. If you're, if you're a, one of my patients was a tennis player, very active, and wanted to uh, return to playing tennis, but did not want to opt for a total knee replacement or even a partial. And he ended up doing a, a meniscus transplant and, and did okay for a while. But within two years, she ended up with a total knee anyways. Yeah, it's they're tough. It's a tough one. So that kind of brings us to the old thinking of related to meniscus, which was that it was sort of a vestigial organ, that you didn't need it. And so if you had a small problem with it, you used to take the whole thing out. And while they were at it, they would take the lateral meniscus out as well if it was the medial meniscus yeah, or vice versa. Yeah, those things, were you didn't need them. <laughs> I mean, this theory was probably still prevalent in the 60s. 60s, 70s. It was, 70s. It was right after they did... Patella Patellectomies, yes. Yeah, which that's when they take the patella out because you don't need that either. It's just causing a lot of pain. It's kind of useless. Let's take it out. So every once in a while you see traditionally a nice old lady with, with without a patella or something along those lines. Yes, and that's, it can throw you for a loop if you're not expecting it. Where is the knee? What happened? <laughs> where did it? Yeah, that's not ideal. Uh, the new theory is basically keep as much meniscus as possible. Whenever possible, go for the repair, even if it means being non-weight-bearing for six to eight weeks, even if it means that your recovery is going to be a lot longer. If you can get another 40 years out of your knee as opposed to seven, you're probably going to want to do that. So I think it's worth the investment. And it's, it kind of it runs con- contradictory to current society where everything has to be quicker and faster and more dramatic and Sometimes, you know, going slow and steady will have much better long-term results. And I, I definitely agree with the let's try to save as much meniscus as we can and just take the rehab or the progression a little slower. Uh, we see much better results with those. Yeah, then there's there's a recent study, and I can't remember the name. I read it a couple of weeks ago, but it had to do with not doing surgery for individuals that were already starting to show signs of OA and also had meniscus tears. And in the group that they didn't do surgery in, their progression to total knee was much slower than those where they did it. And so we kind of talked about that a little bit, but 
Uh, I'll have to look that up. And maybe I'll post it this week sometime. But yeah, that would we'll be see. that would be interesting to read. Yeah, in general, you would think if if you can preserve and be a little bit more conservative, um, long term outcomes may actually be better yeah. th- than being too aggressive right away. And then we're sort of regardless of procedure on the knee, the the same kind of recovery guidelines are, are more or less what we use. I mean, reduce inflammation, increase range of motion. Uh, strengthen, balance, work on proprioception, which is your body's awareness of itself. Kind of once all that stuff's taken care of, then you go to return to activity stuff. Yeah, the PT is pretty straightforward. Yeah, for for most everybody, we'll do I mean, pretty similar. Just depends on your activity again. Yeah. So yeah, if you do if you do a lot of planting, cutting, rotational stuff, it may take a little bit longer. But if you're a cyclist or a runner, generally speaking, there's less torque. You can progress a little bit quicker. Yeah. The the one we see mostly now with repairs is golf. Playing golf. Yes, yeah, not golfing. No, golfing is not a verb. That's a bit of a pet peeve with Jimmer. A little one. Small one. Trivia time? Let's do trivia. All right. Do so we have trivia? We have, yeah, of course we have yeah, trivia. We have trivia. We, we're always on the trivia topics and such. Therewith, last week's trivia. Last week's was quite. So, which school won the first NCAA men's basketball tournament. The Oregon Webfoots. Yeah, yeah, of course, the Oregon Webfoots. You saw my post earlier today. I totally today. did. Yep. I would not have guessed that. Uh, well done, TJ. Way to go. Shout out to TJ. Roll ducks, as he put it. That's what he put? Yeah, he put roll ducks. Huh. He's probably pretty happy because UMass just beat DU. That hurts. To cut me deep. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, is he a UMass fan? Anything from the East Coast. He's a Patriots fan. He's from Connecticut, though. He might as well be a UMass fan if you're a Patriots fan. Is that how that works? We should cut all this out. I don't want to give him any airtime. Cal McCarr. Toby Baker Award. Congratulations. Well done, sir. Shout out to the Avs. All right. This week's question, very sneaky question. That was a good one. I think it's a good one. I think we should get a lot of, of good answers on this. Yes. If people pay attention. So why is a sneaker called a sneaker? That's 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 a sneaky one. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have huh. Yes. Tip time. Bomba peanut snack time. Oh some bomba peanut snack. That's a that's a full bag. Yeah. So this is a a, a kosher food. It's from Israel. It's uh Vegan. Smells, it's vegan. It smells like peanuts. It's made with peanuts and corn grits. It looks like cheese puffs. It, they do look like Cheetos, basically. But with a peanut smell. I wonder if they taste like peanuts. I'm going to try. Uh, chip to ratio, 75%. Yeah, pretty crazy. Crowning jewel of the chip to ratio. They smell like something that I've had in the Netherlands. Down the hatch. I mean, they're classic Cheeto. Not quite as crispy as a chudo. No. They definitely melt in your mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's one of those where you bite down for a little bit. And there's there's nothing left in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. It's not down. a super strong peanut taste. No. I mean, I definitely get peanut. I mean, they're they're good. These would also go well with a beer, I think. Like a peanut beer? No. That would be odd. Yeah, it would be awful. No. Yeah. But... I could eat these on the porch. Yeah. I mean, low crunch value, but, but tasty. Yeah. Not, not, wouldn't be my go-to snack. Well, I'm going to give it a one thumb. It's, it's palatable. It's, um, yeah. it's peanutty. Um, 
Peanut buttery, maybe? Peanut butter, yeah. I go peanut butter for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. One thumb. Yeah. One thumb up. Well, thank you, Joan. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, we do. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Keep, keep the bags coming. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to be doing an interview. We're going to bring on uh, Dr. Mohamed Rimwawi. I'm probably, probably saying that wrong already. He's a uh, foot and ankle podiatrist in New York. So we're going to be working on our long-distance skills for that one. It's going to be our first long-distance interview. Super excited. Uh, Thank you for reaching out to us. Yeah, thank you very much. We are going to do probably foot and ankle health just in general, how that affects people differently. And then we're going to be reviewing probably Jimmer's least favorite chip, the Lay's (laughs) sour cream and onion chip. Yes. So so tune in for that because it's going to be good. That is Dr. Ramali's favorite chip. So we're going to have a pretty hot debate, I think, on the chip No, there's not, going to be much, there's not going to be much debating. I'm a host. Yeah. If you like the show, tell a friend, follow, review, subscribe. Anyone looking for information about this topic, follow us on Instagram or Twitter throughout the week. For more information on Rebound Therapy and Wellness Clinic, check out our website, reboundclinic.com. It's a great website. Uh, we post a bu- bunch of other random things on there, too, so it's a fun thing to check out. Use Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.